everyone, welcome back to the Leadership Locker. I am your host, Rich Cardona, and you are in the right place if you are a new entrepreneur, an aspiring entrepreneur, or an experienced entrepreneur who knows that the learning never stops. Uh, the purpose of the Leadership Locker is to have industry experts and influencers on here. I'm talking Andy Frisellas, I'm talking Patrick Bet David, Gary V, Kendra Hall, Dory Clark, people who have a lot to give you. Okay, and on the days people aren't on, I, the days I don't have guests, I'm on here talking about some of the things I'm encountering uh, during the journey. Document the journey, right? So that's what we do. Well, today's guest is Darius Shudi. I found him on the Dropping Bombs podcast with Brad Lee, and I was just mesmerized by his ability to tell stories. Clearly, I did not want him to revisit any of those stories while we had our podcast together, but I did reach out to him. And I just was in touch with his wife, Angela, who was such a pleasure uh, coordinating with. And then I got him on and we did it. So what is he going to talk about? Now, the title of the podcast is talking about how rejections made him millions. But what, what do we do with rejection? Like, what does that mean? What does it do to our mindset? What does it do to the way we position ourselves? What does it do to the way we sell? What does it do to the way we approach relationships? Rejection is so hard to swallow, but... Dariush is one of those people who sees the opportunity in it. He sees the opportunity to serve others. He sees the opportunity for self-improvement. He sees the opportunity to make his dreams come true and to start another company and to employ more people. He is fascinating in his takes and his stories. And I really hope uh, that you enjoy what he's got to say. If there's anything you take away from this, you're just going to see what a humble man sounds and looks like. And we're going to get right into it. Here we go. All right, everyone, you already heard the intro. Uh, so I'm here with Mr. Dariush Sudi, and it's evening for him and it's morning for me, but we are making this happen and I am thrilled to have him on. And Dariush, I need to tell you this. I met you on Instagram because I DM'd you because you were on Bradley's podcast and I had him on mine. These clips like blew me the fuck away. I was all, all I could write was OMFG and I don't even write weird stuff like that. But your storytelling abilities attracted me because I could feel the truth, I could feel the vulnerability and just the delivery. And I was like, I have to get him on the show. So thank you for coming on. I'm really, really excited to talk about business and life. Well, thank you so much for being in touch. Now, I've had honestly probably about six to 700 invitations by DM. <laughs> And you were the first, so congratulations for being the first. <laughs> yeah. And then I, I, I really loved, I loved your principles. I loved your values. And I thought, you know, I don't give a damn how many followers you have or how many, I don't even know. I just thought I've got to be ready for this guy. And, and here I am. And it's my honor to be on your podcast. Now, just as a point of reference, last I checked, I had the highest viewings on any of Bradley's views. I had, had 116,000 views on one of my and I was like, so proud. So, so proud. I'm not surprised. There was something about the manner in which you delivered it. And, and I actually mentioned when I was coordinating uh, with your wife, Angela, for the podcast, I was like, I might ask about storytelling, but let me ask you this straight off the bat. And, and again, like I, I told you, I wasn't prepared. These are just stories or did you, do you practice how to tell stories? Because the way is just, it's just different. Thank you. I think it's, I don't practice anything. It's just natural. And it's, I've been unlucky, I think, in, in other ways, blessed. Now, uh, where my bad luck came is I lost my father when I was three. I lost my grandfather who took care of me at seven. Uh, my mom was 23 when she was a widow. 
and she had to fight with my father's family for my for my um, you know who looked after me and my sister. So it, all I saw was fighting and wars and deaths and at such a young age. And I trained myself to forget about negativity. So I could have an argument with someone today, and tomorrow I swear I'll be looking at them going. Did we have did we have a conflict somewhere along the way? Because my brain's been trained to just forget about bad things in the past. So I always associated my story in my head to memorize it, because I've probably forgotten ninety percent of the things I I, I I write about or talk about. But the stories made it easy for me to remember, you know. And and I'm dyslexic also. I'm not one for, I'm not definitely, if you ever get a text message from your email, you know that I'm, I'm very good at Mandarin. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, you'd be like, this is not English. But um, so storytelling just came natural to me. Uh, it's the way of remembering things. And, and people have come, and I'll tell you how I got into speaking. It was just an absolute coincidence, if I may share it with you. Please, please. Seven and a half years ago, somebody heard about my story in Dubai and said, hey, listen, I did some coaching with him. And at that time, I was doing personal coaching. And he said to me, look, I really love your story. I'm doing an event in Dubai in a place called Knowledge Village. And it's a Friday and a Saturday. Friday and Saturdays are weekends in Dubai. We, don't, we work on Sundays. So I've got a slot for you, five o'clock on Saturday. I went, great. I've never spoken before. You know, I'll take up a challenge. And I didn't realize it's like the grave man slot. It's the last slot of a two-day event, you know, and everybody wants to go home. I think it was three o'clock actually. So I, I prepared a couple of sheets that I was so nervous when I was holding the sheets were shaking like this in front of about a hundred people there. And I started talking and I was given like an hour, but I was there two and a half hours and people were dancing, right? they, were, they were dancing, they were crying, they were jumping up and down and somebody opened up a Facebook page for me. And today I've got 350,000 followers on Facebook. And people came to me and said, right, you're, you're a great storyteller. You make me cry. You inspired me. And I thought, you know, this is really good. And after that, you feel amazing because you're getting some positive feedback. And I just thought, maybe I've got some, something to share. This is like music to a lot of people's ears. And I also want to set expectations. Like, <laughs> after you listen to him, you'll realize why that happened. So don't just think it's that easy. But what did you talk about when you went up there? How the hell did you stretch it out that long? I'm writing a book called Monkey Business. Okay. And I've been to many seminars and thank God to my first wife. And she introduced me to personal growth because otherwise I was just a very good salesman. I can talk about that as well. But I realized whenever I went on a course, I wasn't the most attractive. I wasn't the strongest. I wasn't the most disciplined. I wasn't the prettiest. I wasn't anything special. You know, there were some people who had like the aces in the cards in the pack when they were born. And I, I was, I was thinking there must be lots of people like me who, don't have a particular gift, but they have the desire, okay? So I started learning what my, within my capabilities or skills, um, how to actually prosper, you know, how to prosper in life. And, and when you do that and you're learning in your own way, you put your head on that guillotine block a number of times. You know, if I worked in a, if I worked in a bank, my days will not be as exciting as an entrepreneur, you know, I can share with you 100,000 different ways I've been rejected. I can share with you 500 different ways I've interviewed people who've let me down. I can share with you how many times people have asked me for money, I lent it, and I lost them as friends and never got my money back. And the stupidity is to make the same mistake. And often I've done that because, again, my mentality is forget the past, right? So I tend to document things and make sure I remember when somebody asked for money, how to say no without upsetting them, being very honest. So... 
everything I, I, I share and I'm going to share with you today with my pleasure is just my own experiences. So I, I heard about the monkey business being in the process and I, I really resonate with that because in my military career, I always felt like I was the guy who had to study way longer. I was the guy who had to stay way later. I was the guy who probably shouldn't be out partying with the rest of the guys because I was behind. In my head, I'm like, I'm fucked. Like, this is awful. I always, I felt like that in school. I felt like that in the Marine Corps. Sometimes I felt like that at Amazon. And now I'm, I'm kind of at a place where I accept it so much. And, and like you said, you put your head on the guillotine block. It just becomes muscle memory. Like your ability, unfortunately, you know, as a young child to begin to have a short memory seems like it's benefited you. And seems like it's something a lot of entrepreneurs should master. It has. And since childhood, it was like, so what? It can't be worse than what I've been through. You know, so, so what? I take that risk. So what? I move countries. It's just pack a case and book a flight. So what? Somebody says no to me. It became the fear wasn't so big anymore because I had so much pain at the beginning. It's so funny. As you were telling me about the, all the times you've been rejected, I, I immediately am thinking of one of the X-Men movies where the juggernaut is just like running through these walls. He's just like, doesn't care, doesn't care, doesn't care. It doesn't seem like you have a chip on your shoulder. Some people use that chip on your shoulder from being ignored or rejected or whatever as a motivator. Tom Brady's a perfect example, right? Like a, a draft pick way, way late. But there's other people who, like Kobe, for example, who are just like, I don't think anyone ever doubted him. I think he's just like, it's, it's just what I want. How would you talk to people about having a different mentality than chip on your shoulder versus I want what I want? I hate being rejected. I hate coming second. You know, and one thing I do know that whatever has got me going is just hard work. Hard work, hard work, hard work. And no matter how many times I got rejected, I, I'll tell you a little bit about my mom, okay? My mom was brought up in fear because she, she became a widow at 23 and everything was bad and everything was going to end up bad. You got to be careful with this and be careful with that. And this is in Iran? In Iran, yes. She used to abuse me physically and mentally, okay? And she used to put my head in the toilet and flush it and say, you're worse than shit. She used to put pins in my fingers or put, this, put me in the car with her and beat herself up and said, I'm doing this to me because of you. And all I could remember thinking... I just want to be 18 and get out. And I just want to be 18 and get out and have my own life. And, but somewhere along the way, I always thought, because I lost my father at three, I always thought there was something in his DNA, something in his DNA that kept me going, that it was, it was his inspiration. He was an entrepreneur. And constantly I was thinking he was my inspiration. But having said that, five years ago, I was in a seminar with, with Tony Robbins. I'm, I'm a Tony Robbins instructor. In, uh, in Tenerife. And I was listening to Tony and I just got it. I thought, hang on a second. It's always been my mom who's been my inspiration, not my father. It was my mom telling me I couldn't do it. I just want to inside show her that I could. So instead of avoiding her for 50 years, I picked up the phone and I said, mom, what are you doing this Christmas? I invited her around and every time she said something opposite to what I was thinking, which is I found pessimistic, uh, suffocating, draining, I thought, thank you. Thank you for the inspiration. Thank you for inspiring me because it was because of you rejecting me every single day. I became whatever I am. I'm not saying I'm any big deal, but I became successful. I became comfortable. I love to have podcasts because it's just a conversation for me. And I'm never worried about offending anyone. And I, I know, I know when we're having a good conversation and this is a good conversation, but let me say this. 
what you just said to me, that willpower in, in, in being the bigger person, so to speak, is like a, a cell phone. Like willpower is finite. I, I just listening to you, I feel like it'd be exhausting trying to, to really reframe. How are you able to do that? You know, I really, it's still exhausting. I could be in her presence. And by the way, I've never, ever shared that with anyone. I've never shared it on any podcast or anything because my mom's, thank God, she's still alive. And, you know, I don't want to, to, to think that I've repeated this in public, but what the hell. So it's draining. It's every day is exhausting. Now, what really, because I used to go through, when you have people have loads of highs, they have loads of lows. They have yes. higher the oh, highs, yeah. the lower the lows. Oh, yeah. Now, what happened to me was when I was 43, I had a heart attack. And I felt it was so premature. I felt it wasn't my time. I felt I had so much music within me that this is not my time. And since then, I can honestly tell you that every day, every breath is a bonus. Yeah. Because I saw them operating my heart when I was awake. They put a stent in my heart. They were showing my heart. I was like, God, I'm not Superman anymore. You know, <laughs> I, I'm just flesh and blood. And, and it was incredible, incredible experience. And, you know, just give you a funny story. They shaved my balls. <laughs> When I had, they put me on morphine, which was floating on the bed, and they shaved my balls. So I'm like, "What the hell? I've had a heart attack. Why are you doing shaving my balls?" This is really embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, thanks, guys. This is really, really embarrassing. So no, with stents, we put the this is the archery that goes straight yes. to the heart. So I was like, "Oh my, I'm dying anyway. Just shave them." So they were just <laughs> messing about. And then the doctor comes and "Why have you shaved his balls for? We can use his wrist." <laughs> so, so I was on morphine, going, "This was embarrassing." <laughs> so, but the speed they put this little cable whatever up your wrist into your arm and into your heart and you're thinking oh my god it's so simple this you know getting into your heart is just so simple and we are all flesh and blood and it will all come to an end and obviously the majority of people walk around like they're going to be alive forever and it's just not going to I want to switch a little bit into business and thank you for that. I, I don't think anyone's ever talked about getting their balls shaved on my podcast. Well, so another first. It was embarrassing. <laughs> we're, we're going in the right direction. You said something on a podcast that was unbelievable to me. And it might seem so simple and trivial to you, but you talked about sometimes how you don't necessarily network enough. Yet here you are, you have social media, you're giving speeches that make people cry. You're starting multiple businesses and succeeding in multiple businesses. You're clearly charismatic and animated. But you said there's times where you have client meetings where you will cancel the day before. And I'm here to tell you, I've done the same thing. I don't know what it is that comes over me, but interacting on your own terms feels so much better than when you have to. But I want to dig into that. Like, I resonate with that, but what is that all about? I'll give you, I'll give you an example. Um, about six or seven years ago, again, no, maybe about nine years ago when I just came to Dubai, there was a client of mine who was a water purification company. They hadn't paid this, I hadn't paid the staff for six months. And they hired me to turn the company around. And those days you could do that. You know, they didn't have much labor rights and stuff like this. It was almost like slavery. It was really sad. So they called me in to turn the company around and they said, whatever you do, when you come to the office, don't go through the warehouse because they'll kill you. They haven't been, they haven't been fed, they're angry, and they think if you're part of management, they're gonna kill you. Just go the other way to the to the office. So I started turning company around, trying to hire salespeople. And then one day I was at a traffic light one evening and I noticed a, a Rolls-Royce convertible parked next to mine. And I turned around, it was the owner's son. 
the company owner's son in a Rolls Royce convertible. So I followed him to his house. I didn't know where they lived. And he had about four or five supercars outside. And he repulsed me. It repulsed me. And next day I was going to their offices and I didn't, I was in a car park and I didn't want to go in. I hated them. I hated them. And I, I think everybody has a coach. And I phoned my coach and said, listen, I want to return their money. And I don't want to, these guys are not honorable people. They have really shitty values. And he said, look, Darish, who's your customer? These guys who are paying you or the, or the people who haven't been paid six months? And I thought, oh, wow. Wow. Okay. I turned the company around. They all got paid and I left and I never spoke to the guy again. Now, that time I was poor and I needed the money. Now, thank you, God, I can pick and choose. I can pick and choose. You know, when rent needs to be paid, school fees need to be paid, sometimes you take it up the ass. You know, you just have to. That's the way it is. But if you're in a privileged position that you can pick and choose, some, you know, who you work with, but it takes time. It takes time. And, you know, honestly, I'm about 3% of where I want to be. I, I see people, very successful people, and they might walk straight past me. Do you know what I think? One day you'll be chasing me. One day you'll be coming to me. And I'm not going to kiss your ass because you're rich, you're successful. I have values that I'm, got, I'm very proud of. And one day you'll come after me. And they do. Rich, they do. Yeah. It's yeah. incredible. But you just have to... Too many people watch America's Got Talent. And, and we watch too many people winning winning the lottery, you know, but here's the 99.9999% of us takes time and people don't have the patience. It just takes time. Well, I once interviewed the president of a publishing company and he talked to me about how he lost a million dollars. You've lost 50 times that. Uh, and there's anecdotes and stories that you've had uh, where you were down to virtually nothing and, and you were just putting yourself out there trying to make ends meet and you've been able to research uh, in multiple ways. And you said the higher the highs, the lower the lows, and that is unbelievably true. But in those moments, how are you able to withstand maybe the, all the mixed emotions, the guilt, the fear, you know, just the shitty clients, all of it? How do you collect yourself to be able to deliver? Do you know, I was never going to be defeated. I was never going to be defeated. I, I, somewhere along the way, I made a decision that this life was going to matter. I'm not going to be another fucker who's going to be born and die and nobody will remember. So whenever, even now today, I'm in an appointment, you know what I always think? My children are my judges. So when this, I pretend they're sitting in a meeting looking at me, and I'm thinking, if they're looking at me now, holding this meeting with this guy, would they be saying, I'm proud of my dad, or would they be embarrassed? If they're embarrassed, I shouldn't be behaving the way I have done. If they say, I'm proud of my dad, I've done a good job. And at that time... At that time, not that I didn't, I had nothing. The people, I don't know if it was on the podcast or not, the people who were put in house arrest for attacking me, they actually started building websites against me. So I was meeting people with no money, and these guys were saying, Darish is a pedophile, or he's got seven wives. And, and even my children were obsessed by it. You know, they were like, oh, daddy, there's another website. It was, I cannot tell you how hard it was. I, I agree with someone, agree to start tomorrow, they'll phone up in the afternoon and cancel. You know, and, and they wouldn't give me the reason. And then it was these websites. And it was just very, very difficult. But I was never going to get defeated, ever. I just knew it was just a matter of time. Yeah, people around me didn't support me. Um, my partner left me, called me a loser. You know, and I just said, just wait, just wait. And, you know, here's the thing. When those people come back into your life and you think, oh, you've done good, again, I step up again and again and again and again and again. Never, ever stop. Now, you did mention that story and you talked about how 
reputation management is actually one of your most lucrative pieces of your business. I'm in personal branding. I mean, my media company revolves around personal branding, which in another way you could put it is, is your reputation. But how do people enlist your help in that regard? And, and how, I mean, I could imagine why it's lucrative, but can you dig deeper into it for me? Sure. Actually, it's word of mouth now. I don't even advertise it anymore. It's a, it's a long, long process because it depends if the bad news... First of all, we don't work with anybody with bad values. We check them out to make sure the good people have just been hard done to, right? So um, again, that's really, really important that we protect the right people. I got so far that I got into the human rights courts within Europe to make sure... We actually fought Google and we won that you have the... As a human being, you have the right to make sure your history disappears. And Google fought us. So we can go as far as, we got to a stage where I was calling people in Bermuda who had a server and I say, here's a court paper. These are lies about me. Please take my website down. And I say, screw you. The World Wide Web is a free speech. I was like, this is so unfair. This is so unfair. So once you go to the human rights courts around the world and then, and then they can uphold it, then you think I've done something. And I contacted my minister of parliament. He said, he's been stalked. I found people all over the world being stalked. I didn't have a clue because of the political beliefs or whatever, you know, if you type Bill Gates, God knows how much bad things are said about him, about the virus and the vaccine and whatever. So these people can stop trading. They, these people can stop living because somebody put a dislike to them. However, things have changed slightly because 10 years ago, when you saw something, uh, a website, you tend to believe it. But now People make 30, 40 checkpoints before they make the decision. So the consumer is a lot smarter than before. They also don't believe the good things <laughs> like, because there's so much bullshit. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> so the consumer is a lot smarter. And I don't see reputation management to be much longer my most profitable side of the business. But um, because, because, you know, when you look at the booking.com or you want to book a hotel, you're going to travel advisor, booking.com. Uh, all sorts of things. You make your own decision about your travels now. Yes. Instead of just believing a word of one website. We're talking about consumers. This is a perfect segue. As someone who sat here 10 or 15 minutes ago and told me you've been rejected thousands of times. When it comes to consumers or buyers, and you, you said uh, somewhere buyers are liars, and, and I love that, You know, whether it's prospects, clients, whoever it is, with the rejections and the objections, there's obviously an element of having to build the thick skin, but it seems like you have mastered trying to get ahead of it. How do you do that to put yourself in a position of confidence in sales versus, you know, weakness or, oh, I don't want to be another sales guy. You know, I don't want to be salesy. I don't want to pitch. How, how do you get ahead of it? Sure. The first thing is that this is, this is like the most number one thing is that sales is a numbers game, period. No matter how good you are, you're all, always going to get more rejections than yeses, period. Now, if I knock on 100 doors and two people buy from me, and if I go to Darius's course and learn his buyers are liars methodology, whatever, four people are going to buy. Still 96 people are going to say no, but you've doubled your sales. So an optimist will look at it and go, whoa, I learned so much, I've doubled my sales. A pessimist will say, oh, that shit never worked because 96 people are still rejecting me. So... Sales is a numbers game. Sales is just a numbers game. And secondly is, unless I could never be a model, not the fact that I don't look good, it's just that <laughs> I could never be a model. I couldn't take the personal rejection, mm. okay? It's hard for me. But when you send a product or service, it's never personal. You understand? It's never personal. 
you can fix your skills, but they don't like the gadget you're selling. That's the way it is. You know, it's amazing how many people DM me since the Bradley podcast saying, once guy said, I've got a fabricating, fabricating company for building sites. I said, okay, tell me three USBs of your unique selling propositions of your product. And he said, blah, blah, blah. It was price, which is rubbish. And then he said, one of them was 10-year warranty. So I said, do your contractors care about warranty? He goes, not really. So I said, why are you saying it's your unique selling proposition? And he didn't have an answer. So you're going to the market and you don't know what your consumers want, your customers want. What are you doing? You know, if I go and get rejected, I'll sit in the car and I'll think, how could I have polished that one a little bit better? Even after 35 years of selling, I get rejected on the phone. I'll put it, I reevaluate the call. You know, my ego doesn't blind me to think that I'm, I'm right and they're the idiots, right? My first thing I think is, how can I improve? I feel like this is something I've noticed, and maybe I've done it as well, where we fall in love with the amount of effort that we've put into a service or a product, and we think like, this shit is great. Blind sides. Yeah. You know? The best ideas are formed in the shower <laughs> or in the bath. You know, we all think yes. we're great singers in the bath, right? But yes. nobody's interested. So in my, my humble opinion is, don't ask your friends and family what they think of your great idea because they're always going to tell you what you want to hear. Go to the marketplace. It's amazing how many people cannot be bothered making 15 telephone calls, seeing 20 people to see. Before I remortgage my house and put all my family's savings into this, can I just ask 20 people if they're interested? And if not, why? They don't bother. They just don't bother. Hey, everyone. Quick break to remind you that a virtual assistant is probably one of the key first hires that you need to make. Whether it's part-time, whether it's full-time, you are looking to offload so much of the stupid shit that you do on any given day that you know is not directly driving you towards your goals. Whether it's administrative, whether it's operational, whether it's tactical, a virtual assistant can change the game for you. And that's exactly what happened to me, which is exactly why I wanted to tell you that Rocket Station is where I found her. Rocket Station is where I found Ellie, my ridiculous superstar VA. And if you want to look into Rocket Station, I highly suggest you do. You could email them at brooks at rocketstation.com or you could go to landing.discovery at rocketstation.com. And look, you have to tell them that you heard me. You have to tell them that and you can get $500 off your process development. What does that mean? It means that before you even have a VA, you have all the things that you were needing to take off your plate documented and processed out. So that way the VA could jump right in. You're not going to get that on Upwork. You're not going to get that on Fiverr, Craigslist. I mean, whatever it is you want to use, just stop. Look into Rocket Station. Let's get back to the show. Let me ask about multiple businesses, because when I see someone like you and I'm like, I think you have nine companies or something along those lines. I'm just as, as a young entrepreneur and by young, I mean, you know, first business, you know, haven't cracked a million yet, that kind of thing. And you see someone with multiple companies. People probably think I aspire to have multiple companies. I want passive income or I want multiple revenue streams and all these other things. And Ed Milet is very notorious for saying, get to the thing that makes you a million first and then, and then you can, you can look into other things. But how do you evaluate when it's time for you, someone like you to be like, 
it's time for something else as well. I'm going to extend my reach into a different industry. How do you even think about that and conceptualize that? Mine started with fear because what happened was I was in the health and beauty industry. And when I lost that, I lost everything. And I thought when I came out of the stress of heart attack and losing everything, I thought, how can I prevent that? And for me to prevent that is to have multiple businesses. So just in case one fails, I can fall into the other one. Are you with me? So it wasn't like a choice. It just automatically did that. And one of the things I advise my clients to, not to do is to the shiny penny. The shi- when, you're an, when you're an entrepreneur, the shiny penny is everywhere. You see opportunity everywhere. So I have a book that I write all my shiny penny ideas on, and I look at it over the next two, three days. And then I think to myself, you know what? That's a good idea, and I'll follow you through. But sometimes I look at it and go, oh, what was I thinking? Right? <laughs> what was I thinking? And I'll just put that away. So the way I see things is that as it's the lowest hanging fruit. Whatever costs you the least amount of money and time and has the most rewards for it, okay? And you can see yourself doing this for six months or a year down the line, it's the opportunity you take. Lots of people copy us. I've had age, people copy our agency. Three months later, they're bored and they move on. They hurt us for about three months. They take some stupid clients away. We send them a no hard feelings letter. The client comes back, you know, tail between the legs and embarrassed. But that's the way, they, you know, the cookie crumbles, right? It's just in time, you know what's going to happen. Now, if somebody leaves you and they had the same passion as you have, now there could be serious competition. But often people leave for the money and not for the passion. And you never last. Because if you're passionate about what you're doing, is you're constantly reinventing yourself and growing and changing. You're in multiple industries, multiple businesses. To the outside person, it could look like, what is his focus? People, like the way I look at it, as I, I, from a creative aspect, like having a media company is like, okay, like I want to be able to nail something like video content or podcasting, but maybe I shouldn't do SEO. Maybe I shouldn't do Facebook ads and all these other things. Where's my focus? How is that able to happen? How are you able to to really deliver on all those? I'm actually really, really blessed because for some reason, my son was a great follower of me since the age of 10, really. He followed every, you know, when you live your life through your son, the poor thing, he was a captain of his football team, rugby team, you name it, he was a captain of top athletes, everything I couldn't be, I made sure he was. And, and since the age of 13, he used to work for me. So, but the, the difference is that he's a farmer. And I'm a hunter. He was cold calling for me when he was 16 in Dubai. And I was seeing people on his appointments that he was making over the phone with me. Really unbelievable. Now, his character is like his mom, my first wife, that she's a farmer. She likes to see the same people, look after them, improve things. If I do a deal, I don't want to see the guy again. So I call myself a hunter, right? Unless there's a problem, I go to fix it. So I hunt, he farms. So that's worked perfectly. He's got attention to detail where I have no, I'm a bigger picture thinker. I'm a visionary. Uh, I have standards that I want the farmer to achieve. So I'm constantly pushing him, but he sees the same people over and over again. I'm very blessed to have a, a team member who, we're constantly clashing, by the way, constantly clashing. He should have been my dad. I should have been his son. Yeah. Well, uh, let, let me ask this really quick. Sorry to interrupt. Like if you're the hunter. Yes. And you know you're the hunter. By the way, I tell the client that. I tell the client. I say, you'll never see me again. Unless there's a problem, I'm in the WhatsApp group. I'm watching everything, but you're never going to talk. Unless they see an issue, I'll jump in and help. But I'm a hunter. You're not going to see me again. But you have the perfect farmer and the team will look after you. 
Got it. Because uh, I, I, I was just going to ask, like, don't you want to see it through? But it, it seems like you're able to not only build businesses, but build fantastic teams of farmers, so to speak. It's ongoing. My biggest challenge is manpower. It really is. I cannot believe the shit standards that universities dish out. I cannot believe these graduates coming up with marketing. They have never done any marketing. I don't understand how they can call themselves marketing experts. And it's really embarrassing. They don't teach emotional intelligence. They don't teach initiative. It's incredible. They're passive. I can't generalize. Once in a while, I get really good ones. But, you know, it's, it's quite sad to see. And I call all my followers gladiators because I think as generations, we've gone soft. We've gone so soft. They get one, one resistance, they jump ship. Because when you and I, well, when I was younger, I used to think about having two, three jobs a lifetime, right? But now they're thinking about at least 25 to 30 jobs a lifetime. So jumping ship is no big deal. And how can you invest in training people when the first hurdle, hurdle they get, they jump? So when I interview now, I have a seven to eight step interview process and I put them through shit. I put them through hell to see if they got the balls to stay. And if they do, the rest is a holiday camp. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Andy Frisella, uh, the Real AF. No. No. Okay. Well, he's got this podcast called Real AF and he's got a very big multiple companies. And he says that when he used to do the interviewing, um, he would make it as difficult as humanly possible. He would he would literally try to make them quit the interview, not by being a dick or anything like that, but by saying you're going to work ridiculously hard. I don't care how qualified you are. You're going to start in the warehouse. You're going to start in customer service. And through that, he's able to just get the right fit. And, and the people I've talked to who've entered the company really see how that trajectory is able to happen and, and why it's by design. But that's very interesting that you say that. And I'm going to have to make sure that that's something I emulate as, as hires start to happen. Do you know what the problem is? I'll again explain it through a story. It's like um, a hairdresser. Not that I know many hairdressers, but... Um, Somebody starts and said, right, follow this hairdresser and serve these customers tea for six months, okay? And you wash their hair like this. The moment you give them a proper hair to do, they're going to absolutely shit themselves, okay? And it's the same in our company. Look, follow this guy and don't do anything. Don't talk to customers. Six months down the line, three months down the line, we're going to put you under some pressure. Do you know what he's going to think? What the fuck? You've been paying me for three months or six months doing this. Now you want the same, more work for the same amount of money. And they jump. So what I say is work them hard. Work them so hard. Teach through repetition. Repetition is the everything. And, you know, we send them, we send them to the marketplace. We've done no training or repetition. And we wonder why they demolarized or, they, you know, why they fail so much. Because we didn't invest the time in our people. And we wonder why they leave. And then life gets easier. Then it gets easier. I'm a huge believer in mastering the monotony. And I really resonate with monkey business. I can't wait to get it once it's out because I, I feel like I'm that guy. I, like the best thing for me is repetition, repetition, repetition. And then I feel kind of unstoppable. I, at some point, there's an inflection point where the learning is easier and I can go past anybody. I, I don't feel threatened by anyone or anything. And I'm just on a great course. Correct. And, and what happens, Rick, then your confidence comes in, Right. And then, and then the, the person in front of you feels the confidence. Before, it's, they feel the desperation, right? Because you're not coherent. When your confidence, your effort is in the same wavelength, the client feels it and they buy from you. You never have to sell anything because you're oozing with confidence. You know you're going to fix their marketing. You know you're going to bring them results. You know you're going to bring them profits. 
So they just buy into you. And that's the first rule of sales. People, no matter if it's Zoom or what, people buy people before they buy their products or services. People buy people who they like and trust and are like themselves. Yeah. So we have to be chameleons, you know, we have to be chameleons as well. When we are selling, we've got to act like them, get, they get the right feelings and vibes. So Ariel's got to be constantly on paying attention to the other person and changing. Yes. It's so funny you mentioned that. And I know you're dyslexic. I'm not able to focus very well and I'm 40. Before March of this year, I read probably five books cover to cover ever. And and I mean, they were not groundbreaking books by any means. Like they were probably simple. And then this year, since then, uh, I've read, uh, I think I'm up to 11 books. And I'm reading Never Split the Difference right now with Chris Voss. And it's exactly that. Like the active listening piece is something I have failed at many, many, many times because I was, so, I, I thought I was being confident trying to tell them how great my service would be. It was actually the last thing I should be doing is shutting my fucking mouth. Exactly. Nobody's interested in your business. Nobody's interested in my business. All they want to talk about, somebody just phoned me about at half an hour before our podcast. I said, look, uh, Doris, I want you to run my networking event. There's a hundred people coming and I want you to run my networking event. Now, would you speak for 15 minutes? I said, no, if I'm going to do your networking event, I'll speak for the whole two hours. He goes, what do you want me to do for 15 minutes? He goes, well, teach him networking. And then I'll do my normal networking after an hour and 45 minutes. I said, can you tell me about your normal networking? He goes, yeah, five people will stand up and talk about their businesses. I said, okay, so you got another 95 people watching these five people talk about their businesses. What's going, if you know, the internal dialogue, what's going through their mind? He goes, well, some of them are bored. Some of them hate it. Some of them want to leave and some people want to buy from them. I said, so wouldn't you like to have a networking event when everybody wants to buy from that person? Yes, of course. <laughs> I said, well, let me run the whole two hours. <laughs> Dickhead. I am of the belief now, and, we'll, and we'll have to wrap here soon out of respect for your time and mine, but I don't believe elevator pitches are real anymore. I'm, I'm I'm, I don't know anyone who's got hired in an elevator, and I think if you are pre-pro... I, I don't like meeting someone when I go, oh, what do you do? And I hate asking that question to begin with, and they spit it off, and I'm like, that rehearsed bullshit? Like, I don't need to know any of that. The moment they say I'm an accountant, you think, oh, God, <laughs> get me out of here, or a lawyer. You think, oh, my God. Okay, this is what I would say. When, you, when you're networking, you need to inspire people, okay? I was so tight of money, okay? I was sure, I, if you go into YouTube, you'll see one of my networking presentations called The Three Apples. I think you'll enjoy it, okay? Everybody loves it. And I only had 30 seconds to inspire people in the room to buy from me, okay? And I used all three senses. I used the sound, the smell, the noise, everything, the feel, of things. And I did a 30 second presentation and I saw to 20 people in the room. Then I thought, what is, what is my elevator pitch? Okay. So when people used to say, what do you do? I said, I sell aspirin. I sell aspirin. So what, what do you mean? I said, well, I find a headache of your business and I fix it. Oh yeah. <laughs> when can I come and find out where your headache is? Ridiculous. <laughs> That's it. That's it. I didn't tell them what I did, who are my legal profession accounts, nothing. I just inspired them to think, that's a bit cheeky. I could have this guy in my office for half an hour, right? Because he'd be quite entertaining. And I'll just go and call. This is memorable. So people aren't creative when they come into their presentations, when it comes to networking. They go, I'm an accountant. I've been training for 15 years. Would you like a knife to cut your wrist? <laughs> Let me ask you this last question. When you mentioned you were a hunter... You mentioned you are very much attached to being a visionary and, and, and your vision. And you mentioned in a podcast about 
how in Dubai you could see out and out and out. The further you could see, the more you can imagine. Talk to me about that and how important that is for young entrepreneurs. You know, we go through trends all the time. When you, again, m- meet pessimistic people, I'll give, you, I'll give you an example. I used to have uh, the fastest growing mobile phone in the uh, company in the UK. And I, I noticed there was loads of mobile phone companies who had shops and stores. And I thought, hang on, this is really expensive. What about me going mail order? Okay. And at one stage, we were selling like four or 5,000 phones a week, a month, and then a week. Okay. And there were so many phones. I come to an office totally unprepared. There was boxes of phones in the office and people were connecting and sending them out by DHL and whatever. And then one day I was going up the lift, uh, the elevator, and I read an article and it said 97 or 98% of the UK population has mobile phones. Okay. And I thought, well, that's the end of that then. And I shut my business. And I didn't think for one second, okay, that people will buy phones because technology is changing. I didn't think that, you know, texting will come to surfing and chatting. You know, it's so important to be well-read. It's so important to be a visionary. And I mean, everybody goes, I go to, to anyone I see, they talk about price of Bitcoin. Okay, who gives a shit? Who gives a shit about price of Bitcoin? But what we should care about is blockchain. So the visionary will look beyond the marketing, the, the bullshit, the sizzle. We look at how is blockchain going to change our world? And it is going to change our world. Okay, Bitcoin will not change my world. Okay, I could have bought it at $200. Everybody has a sorry story. I bought 100 Ethereums. It would have been $400,000 today. I lost my password to my wallet, right? So everybody's got these sorry stories, and I have mine. But the fact is that I own, I own, I own an exchange, okay? I own an exchange, and in the first six months, last month, we did $300 million turnover in one month. Because you know why? Because I thought to myself, hang on, 200 years ago, when the Europeans were going from the East Coast to the West Coast looking for gold, 99% of them didn't make money. But the people who made money were the people who were hiring, they're giving the rooms, the food, the hairdressers, the bars. The people who were providing the service were the ones who made the money, not the ones who went looking for gold. So, yeah, these are the things that I, I would look at. Look, look at history. Look beyond the sizzle. Okay, form your, you know, God's within us, right? We've got the power of thought. Just utilize it. Don't listen to others limiting your beliefs. Thank you so much. Let's do this again. Absolutely. Yes, please. Where can people find you? And when's the book coming out? Because we're all going to want it. Well, I've been saying the same thing for the last two years, just like Bradley, actually. He's been going to about four years. Um, but I'm going to get it out by, by the end of the year. I'll get it out by the end of the year. All right. know, I've actually written 17 chapters and 70,000 words, but I don't know if it's going to be a documentary or a, a, a story or a f- fiction. I, that's where I'm stuck. So thank you so much. Well, I, I certainly can't wait uh, to read it. Uh, I will make sure I link to your Instagram and YouTube and all those great things in the show notes. But I, I am so, so grateful for you spending time with us and hanging out uh, and just imparting a lot of wisdom on us because that's exactly what I hope to do. It's my honor. It's my pleasure. And please invite me again because I loved every second of it. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Dariush. Uh, You know where to follow him. You can check the show notes where to follow him. Uh, He's definitely someone I'm going to keep in contact with. And once that book comes out, I don't see another way to not have him back on, but I will. So thank you for listening. Now, look, the podcast, especially after a week like last week where you have Andy Frisella and Gary Vee and Patrick Pet David on, I mean, it's kind of ridiculous. I want to keep these caliber guests. And the reason I can keep getting these types of caliber guests are number one, 
reviews. Number two, are people sharing it with other people and entrepreneurs who could benefit from it? And number three is the fact that I want to interview the best people because I want you to have the best information possible. So please look into those first couple of things, okay? Reviewing the podcast, five-star review. If you enjoyed it that much, leave a written review. That always helps. And number two would be to share it with someone who could benefit from it. That's how the word spreads. Little by little, the leadership blocker is just going to continue to rise and it's going to be with your help. So thank you so much. See you next time.